Lord Jesus, thank you that we can have a hope in you. In the midst of a world that has a lot of uncertainties, that we face challenges, thank you that we can trust in you at all times, that you are always faithful, that you are powerful, that you are always gracious and loving as well. And I pray that now as we open the scripture, that you will give us fresh insights and understanding and a readiness to, to respond to who you are and who you call us to be, how you call us to live in a way that honors you. So please work in this time in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's world, there's a lot of confusion and doubt when it comes to church. This applies not only to those who are outside of Christianity who have doubts and confusion, even those who are Christians sometimes wonder, what is church all about? Is it to be focused on rules about do this and don't do that? Is the church to be a political influencer, trying to wage a culture war through politics and elections and legislation? Or, on the other hand, is the church basically like a civic organization? I mean, kind of like Kiwanis or Lions Club, whose primary purpose is to serve people in need while also providing a place of belonging for members. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt out there when it comes to church. But to help cut through the clutter, I want to give us one word that can help provide clarity about what the church is to be all, all about. And that one word is Jesus. The church's focus is to be praising and exalting Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to help people grow as followers of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at one special day, long time ago, that helps us in the early church to see the focus on Jesus. So I invite you to turn the Bible to Acts chapter 3. If you're using a Bible from the pew, Acts 3 is on page 1098. And we're in a study right now in the book of Acts. And the study is looking at the origin story of the church. Now, Acts is called Acts. It's short for Acts of the Apostles. But I think a title that may be a little bit more accurate, actually, is calling it the ongoing acts of Jesus through his people. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned his followers to point other people to Jesus. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to empower his followers in our ministry. And as the early church told people about Jesus, and as they gathered together, more and more people were becoming followers of Jesus. To the point where, as we come to today's passage, the original group of, of 120 Christians had grown to more than 3,000. Which is just astounding when you really think about it. And like I referenced earlier, today's passage is going to be a snapshot of what took place on one special day in the early church. So please follow along in the Bible as I read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So that's about 3 in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now alms were donations given to those who were poor. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as, one of, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we see here a man who is miraculously healed. You had Peter and John, they're walking in the temple one afternoon, and there's a man there begging for money. Now Acts chapter 4 verse 22 indicates that this man was over 40 years old by this point, and he had been lame or crippled since birth. His legs had not ever worked. You think about how hard that would be, especially back in that culture, where they did not even have wheelchairs. He would be completely dependent on others, just for sustaining life even. And so Peter and John, they're walking into the temple, and this man calls out to them asking for some money. Now I find verse 4 very interesting here. It says that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now if you have ever been to downtown Milwaukee or Chicago, you've probably seen people begging for money on the side of the road or on the edge of the sidewalk or something like that. Now, most people tend to ignore beggars, pretending that they don't exist, wishing perhaps even that they didn't, were not there. But Jesus, you think about Jesus, he set a wonderful example of personalized care for people who are struggling. And Peter and John, they followed Jesus' example. I mean, right here, Peter says to the man, look at us. What he's showing is that this man is not invisible. Instead, he's showing that he has value, that he is seen. And it says the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Huh. This was certainly not what the man was expecting. But it was far better. It was far better. The man's feet and ankles were made strong. His atrophied muscles, his frozen joints were made new. And he was not only standing and not only walking, but it says that he was leaping. He was leaping with joy. And then it says he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So as you can imagine, this created quite a ruckus. People there gathered in the temple... They, they were all looking, hey, hey, isn't that the guy who's normally laying by the gate? He, he's walking, he's even jumping. What in the world's going on here? So as you can imagine, a, a large crowd began to form around this man and around Peter and John. In verse 11, it says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now let's pause there for a second. I want to show you a picture of what the Jewish temple would have looked like. It was massive. It was much larger than what we probably think it was. 
Let me give you some dimensions of the temple. In terms of, of dimensions, it was about 1,500 feet by 1,000 feet. I mean, that is big. Let me put it in other terms. In terms of the length of football fields, you know, 100, 100 yards long football field, one side was about five football fields long, and it was about three football fields wide. I mean, that is a massive structure designed to hold at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of worshipers, especially during the big Jewish festivals. The temple covered about 35 acres. This place is huge. And around the perimeter of the temple was what, it was a place with, these, um, with columns and a roof. It was called Solomon's Portico, also known as Solomon's Porch. And it was in Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch that the early Christians frequently gathered when they were in the temple. Now with that background, let's pick up again in verse 11. It says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by your own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and de denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter is saying that Jesus is the one who supplied the power for this miracle. Peter immediately deflects the attention from himself and said, it wasn't my power, it wasn't my godliness that healed this guy, it was the power of Jesus at work. And it's significant that Peter references the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because for nearly 2,000 years down through Israel's history, that's how the people of Israel referred to God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Peter is saying, okay, God is here working through Jesus. So you need to listen up. You need to pay attention. Now some churches today don't really like talking about sin. They think that sin turns people off, scares them away, makes people feel bad. So they don't want to talk about sin. And you get some churches, they're very focused on creating a welcoming environment that's very engaging, but in the process, it's not very challenging for people. Now, this was not Peter's mentality. He did not, not, not avoid challenging people. He did not avoid the topic of sin. Here in this passage, he's basically saying, okay, you all remember Jesus of Nazareth? You remember how in this very city, Pontius Pilate declared that Jesus is innocent. But you remember how then... Even though Pilate declared that Jesus is innocent, then you said, no, we want you to release Barabbas, who is a known murderer, instead of Jesus. And then you all yelled, crucify him, crucify him, about Jesus. Peter's saying, you remember these things? When you did that, you killed the author of life, the creator and sustainer of the universe. 
you killed God in human form. You killed him. You killed him, is what Peter was saying. But then Peter makes it clear that God had other plans. Verse 15 says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now if you recall, back in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses. That's exactly what Peter is doing right here. He was witnessing to the fact that Jesus is risen and that he is Savior and Lord. And the focus is so much on Jesus here. Back in verse 6, Peter told the crippled man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And now, as he's explaining to the crowd this miracle, Peter says, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Now, in the ancient world, that phrase, in the name of, usually meant by the authority of. And so Peter and John were acting in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, looking to the power of Jesus to heal that man. They're giving the credit and the glory back to Jesus. And so I think it's important that we recognize this focus on Jesus. Peter keeps calling the focus back to Jesus over and over, calling Jesus the Messiah and God's servant, the holy and righteous one, and the author of life. You think about the purpose of churches, the ministry of churches today, looking back at this origin story of the church, it reminds us that we must have a similar type of laser-like focus on Jesus if we are to be faithful to the call of God in our lives, in our church. Because Jesus is glorious. He's resurrected. He is exalted in heaven. And so it's so important that amidst anything else that churches can be known for, and churches can be known for other things that are good, but first and foremost, we are to be known and to be focused on exalting and praising Jesus. If a church is not focused on exalting and praising Jesus first and foremost above everything else, that church has lost its way in the calling that God has given it. Now let's move on to this passage, picking up in verse 17. Peter says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all, all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Peter then quotes from some Old Testament passages that point to Jesus. He sums it all up in verse 26 by saying, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So there's one word in the rest of our time this morning, there's one word I want to focus this on, and that is the word repent. In verse 19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back. Now repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Repentance is, repentance is basically doing a U-turn, where you're going in one direction, and then you realize that there's something not quite right about the direction you're going in. And so you turn and you begin going 
in a different direction. That is what repentance is. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And my reason for focusing us now on this topic of repentance is not merely because it occurs right here in this passage, but it's more so because it occurs in so many passages that are related to Jesus in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew 4 describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Luke 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus defines his ministry by saying, It is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Fast forward to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Luke 24, verse 47, Jesus told his disciples that, quote, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations. And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, you look at the ministry of the early church, the first sermon at, at Peter at Pentecost, Acts 2.38, he sums it all up by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And now in our passage for today, Acts 3.19, he says again, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So all this and many passages like these show that repentance is, is necessary to have a healthy relationship with God. Now, in the context of Acts chapter 3, he says to the crowd, you guys, you all, you messed up. You denied Jesus. You had Jesus killed. In that, you sinned. You need to repent. There's still an opportunity for grace, still an opportunity for, give, for forgiveness and new life, but you need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus. Worship him. Follow Jesus. Now Peter also points more broadly to the importance of repentance for everyone, not just those who may have been in that crowd yelling, crucify him. He said, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And this applies to all of us. Because every single person has sinned in their lives, has committed countless sins in countless ways down through the years. And sin earns us a spiritual death penalty. From God because he is holy and just. But Peter points to the fact that Jesus has died on a cross to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins. And therefore, when we repent and turn back to Jesus, we, our sins can be blotted out. They will no longer be held against us. There is no condemnation for those who have turned to Jesus. And this call to repent is part of what I called a couple weeks ago the package deal of conversion. Things like faith and repentance, baptism, salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are all pictured at various times in Acts and other parts of the New Testament as part of the process of becoming a Christian, of turning to Christ. They aren't all listed at the same time every single time, but in the book of Acts you see different ones, these listed at different times, they're all part of the process of turning to Christ. We even see a couple of them right here in this passage. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So you see here the topic of repentance, and then you see some aspects of salvation about this time of refreshing that comes from the Lord, along with sins being blotted out. But I like that phrase, times of refreshing. 
It points to how when our faith is in Christ, he wants to refresh our soul to give us new life. I think of Jesus' words in Matthew, 20, or Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come to himself for new life, for refreshment in our soul. This shows why repentance is beautiful and wonderful. It's very life-giving that when we understand through repentance, we can experience new life with Christ. It's all based on grace. There's a book called True Faced that says when grace is into, let me start over. When grace introduces us to repentance, the two of us become best friends, meaning us and repentance. When anything else introduces us to repentance, it feels like the warden has come to lock us up. But when grace gets involved, the truths of repentance reveal a fabulous world of life-freeing beauty. I mean, this is beautiful. It shows that when we repent and turn to Jesus, it's the best thing we can ever do. And so it is vital to decide to turn to Jesus and to make a lifestyle of intentionally turning to Jesus. You know, it is so easy to put things off and then even to keep putting them off even if they're important things. I think of how a number of years ago I had a blood clot that developed in my leg. Now at first I didn't know it was a blood clot. At first it just felt like I pulled a muscle in my calf. And then over the period of a few weeks, it began to swell. It began to hurt more and more. But I continued to ignore it. I continued to put off calling the doctor. Most of it was just apathy. Some of it was I didn't want to disrupt my schedule and my agenda and my plans. I was a little bit concerned. But it took six weeks before I got to decision time, before I repented, had a change of mind that led to a change of action to actually pick up the phone and call the doctor. When I did, the doctor quickly said, you have a blood clot in your leg. And it wasn't a laughing matter at all because it was incredibly dangerous, especially because I'd waited six weeks to get it checked out. That was not only dangerous, it was incredibly foolish to wait that long. I had many people tell you you're fortunate to even be alive at this point because of that blood clot that you just kept delaying about. And it shows how it's so easy for us just to delay and put things off that are good and important to do. I'm sure we've all done it. I mean, things like big assignments at school that we put off, or a project around the house, or an important conversation we need to have. It's so easy to put things off, even when they're important, but when they're important, we should do them, make the decision to do them sooner rather than later, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, sometimes people may think, you know, I'll get serious about Jesus when I become an adult, after I have some fun when I'm a little bit younger. Or, you know, I'll, I'll start prioritizing Jesus more when the kids move out of the house. I'll have some more time then. But the reality is if we keep putting those things off and off and off, the further we put them off, the less likely it is that we'll ever make that decision to get serious about Jesus. And that's just foolish to keep putting off, just like it was foolish for me to keep putting off calling the doctor about my leg. Now, I recognize that people's relationship with God is a journey. Now, I recognize that there's a process of learning. 
and considering things and maybe investigating questions or doubts. I think it's important to honor that journey, to honor that process and not push people beyond where they're ready to go. But at the same time, it's important to understand that we need to come to that decision time at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, of repenting and turning to Jesus. I mean, a crucial step in this journey is turning to Jesus for the first time. And if you, like me, have already turned to Jesus for that first time, to make a lifestyle of continuing to turn to Jesus on an ongoing basis. As Martin Luther declared, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Meaning that there is a constant reorientation that goes on. Anytime we recognize sin in our lives, anytime we recognize that something else has taken priority over Jesus in our lives, that we repent. That we turn back to him with wholehearted devotion. And we need the church family around us to help encourage us in that direction, to hold us accountable in that direction. And so as Peter points out in Acts chapter 3, we need to come to that point of decision, of that point of saying, you know what, I need to turn to Jesus. So I would implore you along with Peter, that if you've not turned to Jesus for that first time, to give serious consideration to that and turn to Jesus. And if you've already turned to Jesus for that first time, to make sure that's a lifestyle of turning to him in spirit and truth. As we look back on that special day some 2,000 years ago, there was one guy who was healed physically. That day really did transform his life in some big ways. A crowd gathered around him, and they wanted to know an explanation for what in the world is going on here? How's this guy get healed? Now the crowd was looking for an explanation of the miracle. But Peter gave them so much more than what they came expecting because he told them about Jesus and their need to turn to Jesus. And one of the things this shows is that Peter's goal was not merely healing someone physically. If it had merely been to heal someone physically, I think that Peter probably would have said, hey, all you crowd out there, if you know people who are sick, people who are, are diseased or are struggling in some way, bring them to me. Let's start a healing clinic. I'll heal them all. I have a feeling that if that's Peter's main focus was to heal people physically, he would have done something like that. But instead, he pointed to a much greater healing that everyone needs, the healing that comes through turning to Jesus. And you look at, at how the main thing there is helping people grow as followers of Jesus. And that helps inform what we do as a church, who we are as a church. Yeah, it's valuable, as we'll see in the coming weeks through the book of Acts. It's valuable to help people out in practical ways and physical needs. But even more valuable is pointing people to Jesus. The healing of a crippled man that day transformed his life. And it created a teachable moment that led to the transforming of many more people's lives through the gospel. Acts 4.4, summing it all up, we'll get to that passage next week, but it says on that day, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of people who turned to Jesus came to about 5,000. So we see the church was growing as they focused on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you came to provide healing. I mean, it can certainly be physical at times, but, but also spiritual. We need a healing in our souls 
a healing in our world. And you came to revive that, Lord. And it needs to be through your power, not drawing attention to ourselves, but drawing attention to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll equip us as individuals and as a church to point people to you so that more and more we'll come to that point of decision, that point of repentance, and turn to you with wholehearted devotion. For in you, Jesus, is life in a way that there is not life anywhere else. We thank you, Jesus, that we have you that we can turn to. Turn to. We pray these things in your name. Amen.